And Lord, you are indeed beautiful to us. And, and Lord, I, again, to, to know you is to love you. We want to know you better. We might love you more. We pray and ask as we go to your word, Lord, it be your words and not the words of men, that your Holy Spirit would minister to every heart that is here. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. Go ahead and turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 2. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Genesis. Read the second half of Hebrews chapter 11 for this coming Sunday. You guys should be able to get to your place in the Bible really quick, I'm thinking. Like page 3. All right. All right, so by way of quick review, last week we looked at the six days of creation. We talked about a couple of things. I encourage you to grab the CDs. I know they all went on Sunday, so Manny made a double amount for tonight. So grab one while you can. As you know, they're always free. It's good to have that first foundational chapter of the entire Bible. Uh, we talked first about how we're to approach the Bible. One of the things we talked about, and this is important as we continue through the book of Genesis, that we begin always by looking at the Word of God literally. Before we start trying to find some symbol, and again, I'm not saying there isn't poetic and prophetic language in the Bible, because there certainly is, but for the most part, most of Scripture is written in a way we are to take it literally. So you always begin there. And that was so key last week as we looked at the six days of creation. If we take it literal, and I do, it means six days. The same kind of days that you and I have right now. 24-hour days. The word yom there in Hebrew is always used for a 24-hour day. So we talked about the six days of creation. We talked about the significance of Genesis 1-1, that our God is indeed, we saw His greatness, that He alone is infinite and eternal and omnipotent. He's able to create something from nothing. No one else can. No one else ever even thought about it. Then we got to the six days themselves. Day number one, God created the light. He, He brought light into darkness. The second day, He created the expanse, the atmosphere and the sky. On day three, He created the land and the vegetation, if you'll remember, we talked about it being a lush, tropical, uh, you know, there was a, a water canopy around the entire earth, and so the, the temperature was more likely the same everywhere. It was a very tropical, beautiful place. Uh, again, sin had not impacted it. Day four, he created the sun and the moon and the stars and established the seasons. In the fifth day, he created the sea animals and the birds the first of all the living creatures, first it was inanimate objects, then it was life, then it was the animal life, and then on the sixth day, he created the, anim- the land animals and man. Now, tonight as we continue through this foundational book of all of Scripture, and while we'll still continue to see the greatness of God revealed again and again, and the authenticity of Scripture through its great scientific wisdom and theological truth, you know, one of my things I want to talk to you about tonight, and may we not lose sight of this, is that sometimes we get so enraptured with the greatness of creation, and we should, because creation reveals the Creator, may we not forget why He did it. You need to understand that creation is great because our Creator is great, and it was an awesome thing that He did in speaking the very Word to make creation exist. But what we must always remember is why He did it. The reason that He created everything He created is out of love for you. He created the heavens and the earth for you. He created the, the sun and the sun for you. He created a place for us to live that was perfect. The, the atmosphere was perfect for us to dwell in. Why? Because He loves us and He desires to have a relationship with us. So as you look at chapter 2 tonight, I really want us to focus on the fact that indeed He has done all of this out of love for us. Guys, heaven and earth are going to pass away, but we're not going to. Amen. We're going to spend eternity in the presence of Almighty God. And so everything He has created was all, again, out of love for us, out of a desire to have fellowship with us. He didn't need us. We need Him. Amen. But He chose to create us and chose to have that, desires to have that relationship with every one of us. So let's remember His love for us. Again, why did He go through all that He went through in creating this galaxy that we live in? 
and all the galaxies beyond it, to create time and space and substance and energy and life, to speak light into darkness, to create clouds above and earth below, to separate the land and the waters, to create create the seas and the oceans and the lush vegetation, to place the sun and the moon and the stars in their proper places, to establish time and seasons, to create life. He did all of that out of love for you. And again, so sometimes, you know, we need to be reminded the great lengths that our God went to to have a relationship with us. He's not an an, an uninvolved, faraway God. Amen? He's not a God who doesn't care. He's not a God who's who's standing far away and has no, no concerns for you. He's a God who desires intimate fellowship with you. He's a God whose eyes are always on you. Be reminded of that. You're never alone. The Lord loves you. He's great and awesome. Amen? And so I want us to be encouraged with that as we look at tonight's chapter. So, if you are a note taker, title the message, All Out of Love for Us. All Out of Love for Us. Give me five points. Number one, he finished the work that we might enter into his rest. He finished the work that we might enter into his rest. Number two, out of love for us, he gave us life. He created us out of the dust of the ground. Number three, he created a lush and perfect place for man to dwell and to walk in intimate fellowship with him. Number four, he gave us free will. He gave us the ability to love him back. We'll talk about that as we get to it, but guys, if there's no free will, there cannot be love. Without free will, there's not love. What it is instead is there's a, you know, you're a robot or you're, a, you know, you're, you're under somebody's spell. You know, there's not free will. There cannot really be love. Love is a choice, and praise God that he gave us the ability to choose to love him back. And then number five, he created the institute of marriage. We'll see that he said it is not good that a man should be alone. So all out of love for us, point number one, he finished the work that we might enter into his rest. Look at Genesis 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. We're going to see four times in these first three verses that he confirms that he has completed his work of creation. Remember that while man can form things, man can create nothing. Because creation is to take nothing and make it into something. We just take something and put it together and make it something else. Amen? Where God is the one who can take absolute nothing and turn it into something. He's the only one that can create anything. He's the creator. And four times in this first three verses, he tells us he's finished with creation. So, since day six, nothing has been created. Let me say that again. Since day six of the universe, of God putting everything, nothing has been created. Now, have things been formed? And ch- yes. Have things adapted? Yes. Have things been created? No. Because only He is the Creator. And when He says it is finished, what does that mean? It's finished. And you know what? He's always faithful to finish what He starts. Amen? That's the God that we serve. You know, while children again have been born and trees have been planted, they're all offspring of things which God has already created. So it all began then. Again, these present processes, God has to sustain them. You know that God has to continue to keep His hand on it, right? You understand that? God didn't create and step back. There are even Christians who say that. You know, God created, and then He just stepped back and lets it go. You know, I had a a teacher at one of my kids' Christian schools say that God didn't know about Katrina. And I'm like, which one of your teachers said that? Because I need to make a phone call. What do you mean God didn't know about Katrina? Well, God didn't know. I mean, if, if he had known, he, you know, and, and, and if he did know, he didn't do that on purpose. Guys, nothing happens unless God allows it. Do you understand that? God, you, can you imagine if God didn't have control over everything, what a total mess things would be? So if God didn't know about Katrina, that means people died that he didn't know were going to die. Right? I mean, let's take it to its logical extent. Guys, God has his hand on the universe, and if he let go for one nanosecond, everything would fall apart. Guys, that should bring rest and comfort and peace to every one of our souls to know who's in control and that God is faithful. Amen? And He finished the work of creation. He's faithful to finish everything that He begins. 
says in Hebrews, speaking of Jesus, through whom also he made the worlds, who being in the, in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. So he spoke things into existence by his word and by his word he holds all things together. Guys, we put our faith in the Lord because he's the one. The one and only that can create things and holds things together. Again, if you let go for even one second. He's not that uninvolved bystander. He's fully invested to the point that he would send his own son to suffer and die that you and I might have eternal life. Amen? Now, nothing has been created since day six, but things have happened to the creation since day six, as we're going to talk about a lot next chapter. But because of the sin of man, we know that the universe is winding down and falling apart. Now, it's important to know that, that the further and further away we get from original creation, the further and further away we get from the original state in which God made things. And these are summed up in two scientific laws. Those of you who are into science, you've got the first and second law of thermodynamics. These are not, rule, these are not theories, these are laws. Like the law of gravity. It's a fact, okay? Law number one is the universe is winding down. It's not winding up, it's winding down. It had a starting point, and it's been winding down ever since. Okay, number two, without outside intervention, all not natural processes, this is the second law of thermodynamics, can only go from order to disorder, never the other way around. They can only go from order to disorder. They can only disintegrate and fall apart, not become more, in, you know, they cannot create a process. They cannot become more defined. They can't. They can only get worse and worse and fall apart. Go from order to disorder. That disavows the theory of evolution. Doesn't it? The theory of evolution goes right in the face of the second law of thermodynamics. It says things can only go from order to disorder, not the other way around. And yet the entire evolutionary system says everything went from disorder to order by random chance over time. Foolish. And you know what, some people say, well, Pastor, you need to not be so blunt about it. It's foolish. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Amen? And I'm getting a little tired of the things that they're pushing on our children in public school. And they're doing all of it to disavow the truth about who the true and living God really is. It's a full frontal attack on Jesus Christ, and if you think anything different, you, you need to open your eyes. And guys, I want to say this. And I'm going to say this from the heart of a pastor who loves you guys. We need to pray about how involved that we are in public school. And let me tell you why. I don't know if you've heard about SB 777. You heard about this new law? The new law that our governor signed into, a, into effect. I'm getting emails about it left and right. Starting at some point in the very near future, maybe January, all the textbooks will have to be removed and mother and father must be removed from every textbook. Everything will have to be parent. They have to promote homosexuality just as much as heterosexuality. They will now have to put new bathrooms into all the schools for those who are gender, don't know what gender they are. I'm not kidding. And the point I'm making is this. We're getting so, it's getting worse and worse. We're getting so far away. It's a full frontal attack on God and they fly in the face of the very laws of physics, the very laws of science. It's impossible, yet they teach it as fact. Now guys, my prayer is, and pray with me, that as we continue to grow as a church, my prayer is that one of these days, hopefully soon, we will have a Christian school where the Word of God will be taught without compromise, and we will never, ever, ever let it be a business. It will only be a ministry where God is glorified in every classroom from kindergarten to 12th grade. Amen? So be praying for that, because is this county needed or what? And so my, and I, my heart and passion would be that we get to a place where we could have students come who can't afford it to pay whatever they can pay. You know, my God's great enough to do that, amen? amen. To where, you know what, praise God, we need to bring, just bring the public school system down. I'm serious. Now, if your kids are there and that's the only place they can go right now, be praying for them while they're there. They can be salt and light in the midst of all that garbage that's going on, amen? Because we do need salt and light there. I know I got off on a tangent, didn't I? But here's the point. The point is that there is such a direct attack on the creation account, the absolute truth. It is the foundation for what we believe. And the enemy, if he can attack that and bring that down, 
if he can attack the six days of creation, that God created the heavens and the earth, that we were created in the image of God, then he can then attack everything that comes after it. He can bring the rest of it down. If we were not created, then what about Jesus? If we were not created, then what about the rest of the Bible? And so it's so important, guys, that we stand up for what the Bible very clearly teaches. Again, these two laws refute the very things that are being taught to our children. And one of the enemy's biggest tools to corrupt our children with the lie is the lie of evolution. Now it says there, all the host of them, the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And as I said, God finishes what he starts. And two things I wanted to point out to you. The last words on the cross were, it is finished. Tetalistai means it is finished. He finished the work of redemption. There's nothing more that needs to be done. What about in our lives? The Bible says in Philippians, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? Anything he starts, he is faithful to finish. He started creation. He finished it. He's the one that brought it all together. He's the one that holds it in his hands. And praise God that no matter what in the world they sign into law, our God is still in control. Amen? And our God is still faithful. And we can still trust in him. So he did, he put all, and he was finished. And it says, on the seventh day, verse 2, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Now the word rested there, God did not rest because he was tired. Do you understand that? God doesn't get tired. Amen? I said on Sunday, God doesn't need faith. You know, people try to make God need faith. Oh, God's got great faith. God doesn't need faith. You can only have faith in something greater than you. God's the greatest, so he can't have no faith. Amen? He is God. That's it. Good enough, right? And you know what else? He doesn't grow weary. So why in the world did he rest? Remember, as I said, he did all of it for us. And this rest was an example for us. He rested to show us that a couple of things. One, that as we are faithful to serve him, we too need to take time to rest and second of all that as we have a relationship with him we can enter into his rest amen because guess what the work is done it is finished for you and i it's not us working more or adding to the work he's done it's us entering into his sabbath his rest amen his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It says in Isaiah 40, The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor grows weary. Again, God doesn't get tired. I'm really glad because he'd have been tired of me a long time ago. Amen? Anybody bear witness with that? Aren't you glad he doesn't get tired? Now, there, in the Old Covenant, establishing from the six days and a day of rest came the Sabbath. And here we sit 6,000 years later and we still have a seven-day week. God created it. I'm surprised they haven't attacked that yet. Right? Anything in the Bible can't be good. I mean, isn't that the way the world is today? Have we got to that point or not? Oh, it's in the Bible. We can't have that. Seven-day week, let's make it a nine-day week. I mean, I'm just waiting for that to happen. I'm just waiting. You know, you know, it's interesting. During the French Revolution, they tried to create a 10-day week. It didn't go over too well. And here's the point. It made a long time between weekends. But here's the point. God's the one who created the seven-day week. Because it's a picture not only, in my mind, pastor's opinion, not only of the fact that we need to enter into his rest, that six days of work and a day of rest that he created, but also, it's a picture to me of a day is a thousand years as a thousand years is to a day. Again, we've had from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years. From Abraham to Jesus, 2,000 years. From Jesus till now, 2,000 years. And the Lord is coming back, and we are going to how, rule and reign with him for how long? A thousand years. And I believe that's that picture, that Sabbath time. We will enter into his rest upon this planet, seeing what the world would be like with God in charge. And I can't wait. Amen? And so to me, what a clear picture. It all works so clearly together. God is the one who established this week, and we still are living under that system today. 
Seven-day week was instituted by God. It's permanently ingrained in the heart of man. And again, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the next thing attacked. But he rested on the seventh day, again, not because he was tired, but to establish in our hearts the need for rest and that we can enter into his rest. Verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. The word sanctified means set apart. So he set apart a day for worship. Now, some may question and some do. As a matter of fact, you know that we met at the Seventh-day Adventist church a few weeks back when they were using this place. And there was a man there doing sound. And after uh, the message, he sent me a book in the mail and a letter explaining to me why we need to continue to observe the Old Covenant Sabbath. And he said, you know, you seem like a really genuine guy and you taught the Bible with passion. And you know what, there's just this one area that you're obviously blind to. Let me help you out with that. Okay, and you know what? He's not the only one on this planet that thinks that way. You know, they'll often say to you, well, we, we observe just the other nine commandments. What about the Sabbath? And my response to them is, are you bringing lambs into church on Sunday too? Are you still keeping the old covenant? Here's the point, guys. It says, if you read Colossians 2, 16 and 17, or Galatians 4, 9 through 11, it's made very clear that Christians are no longer under the obligation of the Old Covenant Sabbath. Jesus fulfilled the plan of the Sabbath for us and in us, and we are no longer, again, have a single day of rest, but we're in His rest all the time. Do you understand that? We have entered into a Sabbath rest. We can gather anywhere at any time and be in the presence of Almighty God. You must understand, too, how corrupt the Sabbath had become. Because remember, in the day of Jesus, what is one of the things he was constantly being accused of? Of breaking the Sabbath. Why? Because they had turned the Sabbath into a day of rules and rituals and burdens. You've heard me talk about this. You couldn't wear your false teeth because I was carrying a bird. You couldn't, you couldn't have your false leg on. You couldn't take a bath because if water spilled out and hit the floor, you'd be washing the floor. And I mean, they had all these rules. You could only walk a certain... And they had all these rules that had nothing to do with what the Lord had said. It was supposed to be a time of entering into the rest of God, and instead it turned into a legalistic place of bondage. And it grieves the heart of God. And guys, praise God that we're not under that. Amen? Praise God that it's, oh, i got to do that. You guys, I can love you. You know, praise God that he loves us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Amen? He knows every wicked, vile thing we've ever done. Hebrews 4 says, therefore, remains therefore, there remains therefore a day of rest for the people of God. For he who has entered into his rest has himself also ceased from works as God did from his. It says in Romans 14, under where it's talking about the law of liberty. It says, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be convinced in his own mind. We don't need to be worried and wrapped up about which day. Now, some would say, well, why do we worship on Sunday? Why is it the primary day of worship for the Christians? From the day of Jesus forward. You know why? Because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. In Acts chapter 20, it speaks very clearly that they gathered together on the Lord's on the first day of the week. And Paul taught them from the word of God. He rose from the dead. And that's the day that we look back to. Guys, we are no longer under the old covenant of sacrifices. We are under the new covenant of the risen and living Savior who triumphed over sin and death. Amen? But again, if somebody esteems Saturday better than Sunday, God bless them and that's fine as long as they're holding to the rest of the word of God. But what I have found to be true is when people are legalistic about which day, they tend to be legalistic about a lot more. Amen? When we walk in grace, guys, not under the law anymore. Jesus rested after the work of, of the cross was completed. He was in the tomb during the Sabbath. And again, today we commemorate the resurrection, and that's why we meet on Sunday. Again, but we're here on Wednesday, amen? Every day is a day to spend with the Lord. We're not working to be saved. We can, by His grace and shed blood at Calvary, enter into His rest anywhere and anytime. And it says there, He rested from all His work, which God had created and made. So He created everything, and He did it out of love for us. All out of love for us, he finished the work that we might enter into his rest. Guys, he wants you to enter in 
to his rest. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Out of love for us, point number two, he gave us life. He created us from the dust. Now, from verse four on, you might say, well, wait a minute, we're going to talk about some of the stuff we already talked about. Because we're going to talk about the creation of man. And didn't we already talk about that in day six last time? Are we going to read? Chapter two is giving more detail to some of the things we've already talked about in chapter one. Okay? Some people say, oh, that's another creation. No, it's not. He's giving more detail about the six, day, the six days of creation. He outlined them very clearly. Now we get to chapter 2, and he's going to give us more details. Okay, So don't be confused and think this is another creation. That's what happens when you take things out of context. Just keep, if we, you've got to remember something. The chapter marks were not there until, a few hundred, until about 400 years ago. You understand that, right? So part of this is just all written on one scroll, right? So it wasn't like it stopped all, but it's all the continuation of the previous thought from the previous chapter, just giving us more detail. Now, verse 4 through 6 are going to describe the conditions of the world immediately prior to man's creation. Let's read it. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. Again, this is not day six yet. He's created the plants. When did he create the plants? Day what? You should have your outline from last week. Day what? It was last week. Now, if anybody, day three, amen. Now, guys, people say to me, Pastor Dave, why are you so repetitive? There's a perfect example of why right there. One week later, what day was I don't know. There's only six days. Come on. All right. So there's no rain. Remember we talked about the water canopy below and the water coming up out of the ground, a mist of water coming up out of the ground. Perfect. The place was wonderful. God had made it. He had created it. Describes this, pu- this perfect, lush, and beautiful place for man to dwell. Again, the sun, the moon, the stars, the plants, the water canopy, the perfect temperature. I mean, what a wonderful place. And as awesome as it sounds, again, we need to make sure. It's funny. People are trying, there are people that go back and try to find the Garden of Eden. Let me, let me help you out. Uh, give it up. Not going to find it. There was a flood after that, right? Plus, God had put an angel up to guard people from coming back in. And if God says you're not coming back, you're not coming back. Guys, here's the point. That was the paradise of creation, but there's another paradise coming. And that's the one we need to be looking to, amen? Not the one behind, but the one that's coming, the one that's being prepared for us. But we see here that the the world was perfect. It was all set up for man. It says, but a mist went up from the earth, verse 6, and watered the whole face of the ground. So he's preparing something far greater. He's preparing this for man to dwell in. And again, he's preparing something even greater than that for us today. And the place he's preparing for us, sin will never corrupt. Amen? We get to heaven, we cannot mess it up. Aren't you glad? Once we get to heaven, it's going to be, we're going to be new creations in it. We're going to have new bodies and we will not sin in heaven. Praise God for that. We'll never have earth part two. You know, and again, a lot of debate about heaven. I won't go into too many details, you know, but what do we know about heaven? We know there's streets of gold. We know there's a crystal sea. We know there's entire walls made out of precious gems. We know it's going to be awesome. We know we're going to see Jesus face to face, but you know what? No matter how great we think it's going to be, it's going to be greater than that. And God's preparing that for us. And we see this description of Eden, heaven's going to be better. Do you understand that? But God created it. Why did he create Eden? He created Eden and he created the world in, the, in this perfect state for man to dwell in. Why? Because he loves us and he desires to have fellowship with us. One thing I did want to point out to you. The word Lord is used there in verse 4. That's the first time you see the word Yahweh in the Bible. First time you see the word Lord. And I found it interesting that the English word comes from an Anglo-Saxon word that means bread. And lords were those who dispensed bread to poor people. And I find it interesting that that's the transliteration of Yahweh into you know, English from an Anglo-Saxon word because Jesus is the bread of life. He was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and he is indeed our Lord. Amen? 
Nothing happens by chance. And then it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. So here's the world. It's in its perfect state. It's lush. It's green. Everything's wonderful. And then he creates man. You know, and again, sometimes I just think about things, but, you know, God could have just stopped right at day five. Would have had no problems. Right? Just some birds flying. He had a real nice atrium to look at, right? Birds flying around, some fish that are swimming, but no sin and no need of a sacrifice and no need to come to the cross, right? But why didn't he stop at day five? Because he loves us. Amen? He had day six even knowing all the things that we were going to do. Even knowing the heavy price that would come with him creating man and putting man even into that perfect place. He knew man was going to rebel. He knew that man was going to be separated from him. He knew all of the the wars and the death and the pain and the suffering that would come. And he knew that he would have to send his son to suffer and die that we might be restored yet again unto him. And he knew that most people, even after he sent his son, would continue to mock his name and reject him and walk away from him. And he did it anyway out of love for us. That's the God we serve, amen? Every time I read something, this this makes me want to serve him more, amen? It makes me want to, you know, just, Lord, look at all that you've done. How can I not love you more? And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Now, again, it's interesting. It's a remarkable phrase conveying that the same small particles of which the earth is composed, the same basic chemical elements of nitrogen, oxygen, and calcium, etc., are the same basic elements that you find in the human body. Genesis, written some 3,500 years ago, told us what modern science now knows to be true, that the human body is made up of the very same elements as the dust of the ground. Surprise, surprise. God's right again. (laughs) Amen? Science just caught up. Do you know that we're made of the same elements of dirt? Duh. If you had read Genesis chapter 2, you'd have known that already. Amen? God's word is always way ahead of man. Man just thinks he's getting so smart, and if he just read his Bible a long time ago, he wouldn't have to do all the tests. You'd have known it already. Now, notice, though, that he formed the man out of the ground, but he does something more. Because with all the other creations, whether it be the animals or the fish or the plants, he spoke and they came into existence and that was it. But in this case, he formed the man, but then he does something else unique to only man. What does he do? It says, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Guys, life can only come from life. Dead elements can't create life. And man was formed initially, life was not in him, and then God breathed into him. The word is ruah, where's where we get the word for the spirit. So the spirit was placed within him. We talked about this last week. Animals, you know, they have body and they have soul. They have no spirit. Do you understand that? Soul being instincts and the ability, but they don't have a spirit. They will not outlast this life. They are not eternal beings. Every one of us in this room is going to live forever. Every human being that's ever been conceived, not even born, but conceived, is going to live forever. It's just a matter of where. God breathes life into every child. He breathed life into every one of us. And now that what, that's what makes us different. Guys, that is why we are not on the same level with the animals. Amen? Really nauseates me when people, you know, compare us to trees and bugs and monkeys. Amen? God did not, you know, and again, God says a righteous man cares for his animal and we should. Amen? But, Animals are not on the same plane as people. But here in Santa Cruz, a whale and a baby, are that's all messed up, isn't it? I think a tree is probably above an unborn baby in Santa Cruz. I'm not kidding. People are, you know, sitting up in tops of trees so that trees don't get cut down, and yet nobody, you know, those same people, you know, walk by the abortion clinic all day long thinking nothing of it. We've got our priorities all out of whack. God is the one who breathed life and he breathed life into man, gave him a living soul with a mind and emotions. God spoke all others into existence, but the man required 
God's direct activation, giving him the breath of life. God created us in his image. Amen? He gave us life. All out of love for us. Point number three. He created a lush and perfect place for man to dwell and to walk in intimate fellowship with him. Look at verse 8. It says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward of Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree that every tree grow that was pleasant in the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now we'll get more in depth in a few verses, but the whole world was under man's dominion and it was good in every way. It was perfect. And the earth had been made for man, not man for creation. That's another important point. Amen. We don't worship the creation, but the creator and the creation is below man. Amen. Men, one person is more important than all the global warming garbage they want to talk about till the cows come home. Amen. All the, and again, if you want to recycle, God bless you. That's fine. But here's the point. It's not about being green. It's about being sold out for Jesus Christ that matters. Amen? Amen. No one else is going to, you know, again, I, I, I just, man, it's so, it drives me nuts sometimes that there's more concern right now about a hole in the ozone layer than the hole in people's hearts. Amen? People are dying and going to hell without Jesus Christ. We ought to be a lot more whipped up about that than how many fossil fuels we're burning. Whatever. Here, you know, God is still in control. Amen? And this is the stuff that really matters. Let's get our focus on the eternal. Now, I'm not saying, again, I know some, hey, if you're into that, that's great. But, but Jesus Christ better be the most important thing. Amen? Amen. And not even close. So this is a magnificent garden paradise, unlike anything the world has ever seen since, where God fellowship with those he created in his image. The tree of life, this is a real tree with special properties to sustain eternal life. It was placed in the center of the garden. Adam ate of the tree and it sustained his life. It says in Revelation 22, it tells us this tree will be a part of the new heavens and the new earth. Then it talks about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, We'll talk about it in a minute, but just real briefly, perhaps given its name because it was placed in the garden as a test of obedience, but also, it could also be not just so that God could show the, the contrast between good and evil, but test the heart of, of, the, of man between good and evil. What's in the heart of man? How will man respond? And again, it's important to note that if this were not there, if there were not an opportunity to disobey God, there would be no opportunity to truly love God. Because love requires there to be a choice. We'll get into that more as we move on. But again, without a choice, without their, the ability to sin, there is no standard of right and wrong. And that's the problem that we have today. There is being washed away the standard of right and wrong. Nothing's wrong anymore. And the Bible even tells us, you know, in the last days they will call good evil and evil good. And that's the day we're living in right now, isn't it? We went from being immoral to amoral. Immoral means that we know there's right and wrong, but we don't care and we do wrong anyway. Amoral means there are no morals and there is no right or wrong. The only people that are wrong are the people that say there is a right or wrong. That's the world we live in today. But notice that he did put in the midst of this beautiful place, this lush garden, the most beautiful place. It says that, that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. Adam could just talk to God. Because there was no sin separating him from God. He could have intimate fellowship with, the, with Almighty God. He walked with him. The world was perfect. Everything was wonderful. There was only one restriction. We'll talk about it more next week. Stay away from that one tree. Now, people have wondered how long they made it. I don't think it was very long, personally. That's my opinion. Because you know what? I just know how people are. Amen? Well, some people go, well, Adam was perfect, and we're not. Yeah, Adam was he was without sin at the time, but we also know that he was a man who could succumb to temptation just like we do, and we know how we do with that. So there was within it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now look at verse 10. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. From there it parted and became four river heads, and the name of the first was Pishon. It is the one that skirts the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of the land is good, Bedellum and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hedekel. 
It is the one that goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, there was no rain. Remember that, no rain at the time. So Eden was the source of waters that created a rich lushness, not only in Eden, but everywhere around it. Boy, this would be the picture of the Christian's life. That we, the Bible says, out of the, you know, overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. And the Bible also says in John 7, He who believes in me as the scriptures said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And I think Eden, what a picture here, that not only did God's presence dwell there, not only did he walk with the Lord in the cool of the day, but out of Eden flowed this living water that had a huge impact on everything around it creating lushness on everything that surrounded it. Notice that gold was there and precious gems. The fruit of a, of a life filled with living water is it produces precious things in those around it. And it, it produces great fruit. And we see that even here in the Garden of Eden when there was no sin as he walked in the presence of Almighty God. Again, imagine he walked with him. He walked with God. You know what's great though? You and I can walk with God now. You know, praise God that even though we're going to see the fall next week, God came through His Son and restored man back to holy God. Now, where are these rivers? You see some of the names you understand. You've read before the Euphrates, Assyria, speaking of Persia, Cush, again, uh, believed to be in modern-day Ethiopia. But here's the point. Some believe those are actually the places, and the Garden of Eden was in that region. Could be. But you know what? There was also a flood after this. And some people believe that they took the names of these rivers and adapted them after the flood. That could be also. And again, ultimately, it doesn't really matter. Because we're not going to find the Garden of Eden anyway. We've got a better garden that we're headed to. Amen? But you see here how Eden had an impact on everything around it. And guys, I will say this. I love, find, I love going to Israel. If you've never been, can I encourage you to go? You will never look at the Bible the same again. You can't. I mean, it is so incredible that every time they, un- they say, every time they turn over a, you know, a shovel of dirt in Israel, they prove the Bible to be true yet again. And people doubt and question, and every time they have another discovery, well, you know what, the Bible is right again. Isn't that amazing how that works? And there are those who aren't even Christians who will use the Bible to find lost cities, and they go dig them up, and there it is. Everything that God said is exactly where he said it was going to be. And I just love it. Again, not that we need that to increase our faith, but boy, you know, sitting in the place where every one of those Bible stories took place and reading the Word of God and knowing it took place in that exact spot, boy, it just drives it home. The ultimate retreat. Just pray about going. You'll be blessed, I promise. But guys, I love that fact that we can, you know, find those artifacts and go back. But guys, as much as looking back can increase our faith, our whole heart should be going forward in a relationship with the Lord. Amen? We don't go back and grab those artifacts and think there's something magical about them. There isn't. You know what? Our peace, our hope, our joy comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we need to be pressing in to Him. So while out of love for us, He finished the work that we might enter into His rest. He gave us life. He created a lush and perfect place for man to dwell and to walk in intimate fellowship with Him. Verse 15 through 17, he gave us free will, the ability to choose to love him back, even as he knew that we would choose to rebel. Look at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Notice the man had a job in the Garden of Eden. You know, people have often thought, if life was perfect, I wouldn't have to work. The Bible says, a man who does not work shall not eat. The Bible tells us laziness is a sin. There's a great deal that we learn by working. Amen? And God says, after we'll see this in Genesis 3, He says to Adam, by the sweat of your brow you will toil in the soil, the ground all the days of your life, speaking to all of men. And then He says to the woman, because of Eve's sin, and you're going to have pain in childbirth. Thanks, Eve, right? But here's the point. God made it very clear. And you know what? The absence of work is not somebody who's successful and has arrived. It's the absence of walking in obedience to the Lord. Amen? God's called us to be working. And he tells him, even in the garden, there's no sin yet. There's no, no death. No, but you know, God could have done it all by himself, you think? Then God could have tended the garden without Adam's help. What do you think? Of course he could. He's God. But what does God do? He put him in the garden to tend it and to keep it. 
The word tend, again, means to cultivate. God's plan was always that man would work. And then he says to keep it. The word there is to protect it or to guard it. Again, this is God's divine directive for man. No physical, mental, or spiritual need, again, was going to be withheld from him. But in the midst of all of that, God still wanted him to take an active role in what God was doing. And the same is true today. God, wants, God can do it without us, guys, but he wants to do it through us. Amen? And it's a joy when we let him do it through us. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, the man was also called not only to tend and to keep, but he was called to lead. And I want you to notice who God told not to eat of that tree. Who did he tell? He told Adam, right? He told Adam. So a lot of times people always want to point to Eve, and Eve certainly blew it. But Adam, where were you? I'm, where were you when your wife was talking to the snake? I'm just trying to, I'm wondering, where were you, man? Right? Shouldn't you be with your wife? Snake shows up, starts talking. I'm thinking, good time for you to show up. Amen? And shouldn't you be encouraging her and taking the leadership role to say, no, no, God said not. And then what did he do instead? His wife, and then she gave it to him, and he ate some too. I know I'm getting a week ahead of myself. But here's the point. The point is God's called the man to provide, to protect, and to lead. He spoke directly to the man concerning the expectation of obedience. Spiritual leadership was assigned to the man all the way back in the Garden of Eden. The man's role as leader is confirmed by the means of woman's creation, as we're about to see, by woman's designation as his helper, by man naming her, and by the teaching of the New Testament. Look at Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians. A man is called to be the spiritual leader in the home. Amen? And you know what, guys? I believe before we're accountable for anything else, we'll be held accountable for that. What have you done with that precious bride I gave you? What have you done with those precious kids? And can I encourage women, you be a great helpmate to him, you be an encouragement to him, and you let him lead. Amen? You encourage him to lead. Don't usurp his authority. The Bible does say the woman will desire headship over the man. I know none of you women have ever struggled with that. The warning here is that you eat of it and you will surely die. The warning here equates to man's spiritual death and ultimately his physical death. Now people often ask, why did God create man? You know, he existed in eternity without man. Why would he now create man in, in a space-time universe? And the Bible tells us that God created us to know him and to have fellowship with him. That's why he created us. Then people ask, well, then why did he create the opportunity for man to sin? Because as I said before, why did, he, you know, why did he place temptation in the garden? He created man to have fellowship with him. Then he put something in the garden that would keep him from having fellowship with him. That doesn't make any sense to me. You know what? God desires that we would choose to have that relationship, that not that it would be forced upon us. Amen? I used to say to youth group kids, I know this is kind of a weak analogy, but forgive me, I was a youth pastor for a long time. And I used to say to youth group kids, I said, imagine if you could pick out the, you know, the prettiest girl in school, or the, you know, what, and, and you could have one of two choices. You could go over and hit her in the head with a mallet, and she'd be forced to love you from that day forward. Or, over time, she would get to know you, and as she got to know you, she would fall in love with you, and then she would choose for the rest of her life to walk with you. Which one of those do you want? And we're a sinful man. Perfect holy God desires that we would have intimate fellowship with Him. He created us as moral free agents, not robots. And He's given us the ability to choose. And praise God that He's given us the ability to love. He's not a robot maker. Amen? And so, real love requires a reciprocal relationship between two people. There must be a mutual love going back and forth, right? That's, that's what it is. And so that's the kind of love relationship God desires with us. If man is to love God, he must be able to choose to love him. 
in response to his love for us. So Adam, to be free to love God in his own initiative, he also must be free to not love God. So God created man as a morally free spiritual being with the ability to accept or reject his love. We'll talk more about that next week. All right? Chapter 3 is all about that. Now, last point, verse 18 through 25. He created the institution of marriage. Who created marriage? God did. Who, who decides what marriage is supposed to be? Okay. So they can vote all they want, and marriage is still defined by God. And they can have all the marriage licenses they want, but they're not marriages unless they are faithful to what God said marriage is supposed to be. Amen? God alone defined marriage, created marriage. He's in charge of it, and it's all about what He says. Amen? And ultimately, it's a picture of Christ in the church. And so another reason why the enemy wants to attack it, you know, the Bible talks more about marriage than it does the church. And it's because of that that the enemy so wants to attack marriages because if he knows if he can attack the institution of marriage, he can, in his mind, destroy the church. Let me start with families. I'll destroy the church one family at a time. And that's the plot of the enemy. But notice what happens here in verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. What did he say every time after the day of creation? He looked and it was what? It was good. Now for the first time, he says, not good. If God says it's not good, guess what? It's not good. And God looked and he saw that man was alone and he said, you know what? This is not good. God never intended for man to be alone. It was never God's plan. It was never God's heart, either in a marital sense or in a social sense. Now, let me just say this quickly. God's design for most of us is to be married but it's not God's design for all of us. Amen? Paul would even say later, it'd be better if you were as I am, being single. Because then you can be fully devoted into serving the Lord. But God has designed for most of us to be married. And I want to make sure for those of you here who are single, if God has called you to be single, that's a wonderful thing, and God's called you to do it, and He's done it for a reason, so you be blessed, and don't you ever feel condemned for you being obedient to what God's called you to be. Amen? Now, that being said, if you do have a desire to be married, God has placed that desire there, and it is very important with that desire that you wait upon the person God has for you. Because the desire is there doesn't mean that you then take over. Big mistake. We could just have testimony till midnight tomorrow night, right now. We could have it because my wife's not here, so right now. But God never intended for man to be alone. Adam, like you and I, needed fellowship. He needed companionship. And he has an intimate relationship with God as any man ever had. But he still needed fellowship and human companionship. Guys, you know what that speaks to? It speaks to the fact that while we have intimate fellowship with God, God still designed us to have intimate fellowship with each other. Amen? Some people say, well, I just hang out with God. I don't need the church. Well, uh, show me that in the Bible. Well, I don't need anybody else. Just me and God have a relationship. I'm going to go sit above a mountain over here. No, that's not what God wants you to do. God has you here to be in fellowship with other believers, to be, use your gifts to minister to those around you. Then it says, I will make him a helper comparable to him. Let's talk about those two things. I might go over a little tonight, but that's all right. Get all throw rocks at me, I guess, but what are you going to do? Now, it says, he says, a helper comparable to him. Let me break those down. A helper. The word in Hebrew, this is not a term that means less. The word helper is even used, the same word, in Psalm 33 to describe God. So this would not be a lesser word, amen? Because it's used to describe God. Now, one does not lose value as a person by humbly assuming the role of helper. The word describes function, not worth, okay? Now, it says the woman is to be the help or helpmate of the man. How? As a spiritual partner, assisting him in obeying the word and being active in ministry. As his partner in parenting the children. God divinely equips men and women differently. Together they fulfill the needs of parenting. We need men and women together. That's why it doesn't work when you have two women or two men trying to have a family. Amen? Have you ever noticed how in homosexual relationships, one of them always takes the role of the other gender? You know why? Because they found out in and of themselves, they can't, it, it doesn't make any sense. 
There's a need for male and female. God created that way. Amen? And so we see here that God has created the woman to be the helpmate in the parenting of the children. As man's friend to offer comfort and fellowship. As man's encouragement and inspiration. The woman is the perfect counterpoint, counterpart excuse me, to man. Neither inferior nor superior. Alike and equal in personhood, but unique and different in function. And so she's comparable to him, equal to him. Your wife is not less than you. She's equal to you. And you know what, men? If you're going to be great in God's kingdom, you're going to learn to be the servant of all, and you're going to love and serve and lay down your life for your wife, as Christ did for the church. Amen? That's what he's called us to do. So we see this. She's called to be this perfect helpmate. He sees that, you know what, this man by himself, it's going to be a mess. I need to bring him and help her. Amen? If I leave this guy in the garden by himself, oh, i got to get him some help. Let me, bring him, let me bring him someone to help him. He's going to need it. Amen? So true. Verse 19 and 20. Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him notice that he didn't call aside a monkey to help right that giraffe looks pretty good why don't you come help me out he didn't do that but you know what he did notice he noticed there was male and female giraffes and male and female but for him not one comparable and god put a longing in his heart that there was something missing that's the same thing that god does in the heart of those who are called to be married he puts a longing in our heart that something is missing. God gave Adam a desire for a helper. And then notice what happens. Verse 21. Then the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Now notice, he caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam. Verse 22. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. So, he caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam. He took one of his ribs, he created a woman, and then he brought to him his wife. Notice, he went to sleep, God brought him his wife. He didn't give him a bow and arrow and go say, hunt one down for yourself. <laughs> Just go pick out a really good one, right? But you would think that's what God said in the Bible, the way people hunt after spouses today, right? Instead of waiting upon the Lord and resting in Him and trusting in Him and allowing God to be the one to bring your spouse, it's like, oh, i got to go find me one. And you know what? She's pretty cute. I better, I better tag her before someone else gets her. Isn't that the way the world acts? But that's not how God ever designed it to be. Amen? You rest in the Lord. You wait upon Him. No hunting. Resting. Amen? rest wait let god bring you your spouse god knows what he's doing amen you be busy about your about his work you be busy serving him you fall in love with him you make him the focus and passion of your life and you know what a godly woman finds attractive a godly man and you know what a godly man finds attractive a godly woman you just be godly let god take care of the rest of it amen you won't have to strive you won't have to knock walls down Just trust the Lord and allow Him to bring you your spouse in His perfect timing. I won't go into detail, but I love that He took the rib. Any of you heard me do a wedding before? You've heard it in many weddings probably. Notice He took a rib. He did not take a heel, you know, bone out of her heel that He might walk on her. He didn't take a bone out of His head that she'd walk on Him, or a bone from the back that she'd be behind Him, or a bone from His chest that she'd go before Him. But he took a bone from his rib that she might always be near and dear to his heart. Amen? God does things for a reason. And he's a faithful God. And he made. means The word there means to build. The woman was constructed by God personally and presented to the man as divine provision. Now, how did Adam respond? He wakes up and there she is. What does he say? This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Man, the word there is ish. The word woman is isha. It reflects the oneness of Adam felt with the woman. He realized we're one. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He didn't say, who's this new creature? He said, we're one. The two of us together are one. But you know what another wording for, I love this, another meaning for the word woman is? I really like this. You know what it is? Soft. 
He, he oh, he said, oh, this is nice. <laughs> Can't you see him? There have been giraffes going by and monk. All of a sudden, whoa, hey now, that's what I'm talking about. And he goes, oh, saw woman, right? <laughs> it's true. Another meaning for the word. He says, this is flesh of my flesh. He understood the essential oneness in his relationship with Eve. This point is so important, it's referred to throughout the New Testament. Again, including that great marriage passage in Ephesians 5. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Guys, we need to start nourishing and cherishing our wives as our own flesh. Amen? Guys, that was pretty weak. We need to nourish and cherish our wives. Amen? Amen. I'm saying that with you. We all need to. And then it says, last two verses, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The word leave there is the legal act in which a husband and wife make a public commitment of ultimate loyalty and lifelong devotion one to another above all others, even their own parents. Can I tell you something? Moms and dads, sometimes there's a temptation to jump in once your kids get married. As most of you know, I'm going through this right now. (laughs) My daughter just got married three months ago. And you know what? I can tell you before Almighty God, I have given them zero advice that they haven't asked for. My heart is, Kevin is now her husband. He is now the spiritual leader in her life. I believe he's the man God brought to her. And my job now is I took my hand, her hand out of my hand and put it in his hand. And from this day forward, he has spiritual headship in her life. She will always be my daughter. I will always love for her. I would die for her in a minute. But I will never interfere with a God-ordained relationship between a husband and a wife. And I need to let Kevin be the spiritual leader in her life. And that's an exhortation for all of us. Now, again, it's so, you know, and there's times when my daughter says, go ask your husband. I'm just not even going to, that's it. Amen? And we need to do more of that. And we need to, and that's also why we need to pray for godly men to come into our daughter's lives, because I just praise God that Kevin's on fire for God, because if he wasn't, I might not be responding the same way. (laughs) Then it says... And be joined to his wife. This is a personal aspect of tender love and faithful responsibility, which is permanent and binding. Leave mother and father. Don't run back to mom and dad and seek their counsel. Stop it. Now, once in a while, it's okay, but you go with your husband. If the two of you want counsel, go together. But don't usurp the authority and the, uh, that God's placed in a husband and wife relationship and bring your parents into the middle of it. God did not design it that way. Amen? I can't tell you how many marriage counseling sessions I do. Well, he runs to his mom all the time. Stop it. Well, she asked her dad, stop it. You guys need to get together and get before God together. Amen? And allow God to be at the center of your relationship. And they shall become one flesh. This speaks of the physical union and symbolizes the union of their souls. And I just love the marriage, again, was instituted by God. Ozzie and Harriet didn't institute marriage. God did, amen? And God has a design for it. And this is God's ideal family. Husband, wife, committed, together, lifetime. Amen? Now, maybe you've got a past where... That can't happen. You know what? Start from this day forward doing it God's way. Amen? The same way he's forgiven you, he will continue to. Amen? He's a faithful God. But we can purpose in our heart from this day forward to honor him. And it says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. The idea of nakedness is far more than just the lack of them having clothes on, but that they were totally exposed as people before God and man, and there was no shame there. And why is there no shame? Because God's the one who designed it. You know what else this means? I'll close with this. Not the best point to have to close with, but I will. The only person you should ever see without clothes on is your spouse. Amen? Amen. No movies, no pictures. They were naked and not ashamed. Why? Because they were married, and God had brought them together, and it was God's plan. Amen? And anything else is polluting and corrupting the plan that God has put together. So, in the marriage relationship, there is no shame because God created it and God created it to be a wonderful thing. But outside of marriage, it is, it is sin, it is wickedness, it is perversion. Amen?
And it's one man, one woman. Not two men, not two women. Not, you know, uh, this one for a while and then this one later on. One man, one woman for a lifetime. And you know what? Those who do it another way, it never works out. It's always a disaster. Let's trust God that he knows what he's doing. So out of love for all of us, he finished the work that we might enter into his rest. He gave us life. He created us out of the dust of the ground. He created a lush and perfect place for man to dwell and to walk in intimate fellowship with him. He's given us the ability to have intimate fellowship with him today. He gave us free will, the ability to choose and to love him back. And lastly, he created the institute of marriage because it is not good that man should be alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the foundations in these first two chapters of the Bible already. So many areas and aspects of life already been touched upon. Such important things, Lord. Man should be busy working and tending and protecting and leading. That you desire that he have a a woman to be a, a helper comparable unto him. Lord, you desire intimate fellowship with each and every one of us. Lord, that we would walk in that intimacy with you. Father, I pray, Lord, we would live lives that we would be like that Garden of Eden where that living water would flow out of us and impact the world around us. So, Lord, we do love you and praise you. We thank you for the incredible grace you poured out upon us all. And, Lord, I do pray for every marriage in this room. Lord, pray for every man. Help him to be the spiritual leader. Pray for every woman. Help her to be the godly woman and help her comparable to him you designed her to be. I pray for every single person that's waiting upon that person that you have for them, that they would, Lord, wait upon you. They would rest in you. They wouldn't go hunting, Lord, but they would trust and wait for your, that person you have for them in your perfect timing. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.